You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network podcast. Are you ready? It's the G Talk Show with G Mama, Josh, and Tony. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. This episode of the Jeep Talk Show is brought to you by LT Wright Knives. These heirloom quality pieces will outlast your adventure. So plan well, drive safely, and carry an LTWK. Find out more online at ltwrightknives.com. You know, Tammy, I went over there and checked out that machete that we were uh, talking about in our mid-roll last week. Oh, so fine. It's just, they're, they're just beautiful knives. It kind of reminds me, uh, the design kind of reminds me of that, that old knife we used to have at my parents' house that everybody went for because they knew it was going to cut really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yikes. Where's the knife? Well, we got I lots know. of knives. No, you don't want you which one I'm talking about. So, yeah, check those guys out. They make some really nice things. Hey, you know, it doesn't matter if you uh, have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or never driven anything but Jeeps. The show is for you. Tom, Tommy, I did it again. Josh, Tammy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about Jeeps. Hey, I'm Tony, and I have a Jeep problem. (laughs) Hi, Tony. (laughs) Four Jeeps, and I can't stop buying Jeep parts. I know how that yeah. goes. Well, I'm the one they call Josh, and unless they're choosing to use some of those other four-letter words, well, that's my name. And I've been involved in jeeping and vehicle modification for well over 20 years. And I'm Tammy, and I like all things purple, red wine, and tacos. <laughs> hey, hey, Josh, what's coming up on this episode of the Jeep Talk Show? Well, we've got a guest that we've heard from occasionally through voicemail, but never really interviewed before. His name's Nate, and he's with SWBC, SWBC Crawler. SWC, he's with something. He's going to talk about some crap. I don't know. And this week in Jeep, we'll get some details about the upcoming hybrid Wrangler that uh, I know everybody's very anxious about. And we're going to tell you how FCA is helping to offset those monthly new Jeep payments that you are probably taking on. And in Wrangler talk, Tammy finally uses that four high. Nikki G's going to call in and, uh, well, there's a feud going on. He's going to shed some details on, and we've got a whole bunch more stuff, so stick around. Local Jeep News, National Jeep News, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep is brought to you by Amazon.com. Hey, looking for a way to support the show in the new year? Well, we've got just the thing for you. Head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Press the big Amazon button in there, and you'll be taken to the magical land of Amazon online shopping, where... Anything you purchase there will give the show a few cents. Well, costing you nothing more at all. If you like what you hear, have gotten any benefit from what we do here, then please consider giving back. That's jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and look for the big Amazon button. You hey, know, I think, thanks in advance. You know, I think I've got some magical fairy dust sound. I need to need to play that whenever you say magical world sprinkle, of Amazon. Sprinkle, sprinkle there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we've talked about it in months prior. It was a rumor years ago, but it's coming to fruition now. It's a Wrangler hybrid. And uh, today, the technology company Continental announced that it is the company who will be helping deliver the FCA e-torque mid-mild hybrid technology to the all-new Jeep Wrangler. Continental's industry-first liquid-cooled 48-volt EcoDrive is the workhorse behind the e-torque system. It claims it will contribute, not detract, from the vehicle's legendary off-road performance (laughs) while simultaneously improving fuel efficiency, improving auto-start response times, and regenerative braking. 
overall start-stop functionality and reduced noise levels will also be improved as well. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm already missing the throaty bark of a V8 Wrangler just by reading this, but I digress. EcoDrive provides up to an additional 88.5 pounds of foot, foot, foot pounds of torque delivered to the crank via the engine's front end accessory drive. The version of this unit going into the Jeeps will be about 31.5 pounds and looks like an alternator and a steering pump had a baby, and that baby was a 35-pound liquid-cooled electric motor mounted onto the front of an engine like any other grossly oversized accessory would be. The liquid-cooled 48-volt EcoDrive also spins the engine faster, making eTorque's benefits more readily apparent, like auto start times of less than a half a second, and torque delivered to the wheels more than twice as fast as conventional 12-volt systems can accommodate. This tech is in its infancy stages at this point, and right now there isn't a whole lot of real-world feedback on the drivability of this EcoDrive on the Wrangler. But if you want to see it in action right now, well, many of the Ram 1500s equipped with the Pentastar V6 engine should have this on board. As to when we can expect the EcoDrive systems to be on Wranglers at your Jeep showroom, well, we might see select markets get them first, and probably more likely a full rollout for the 2020 model year after that. So don't you think these battery-operated anything are going to be more prone to fires? Well, especially with 48 volts. Now, it, as a lot of people may, may or may not know, almost 98% of the vehicles out there on the road run on a 12-volt system. Very, very, very old vehicles. Some have a 6-volt generator. And there are even some high-end BMWs and a lot of semi-trucks that run on a 24-volt system. To my knowledge, there are very little vehicles out there running a 48-volt system. Now, that being said, is the rest of the vehicle going to be 48 volts? No, I don't think so. I think there is going to be a separate power supply directly you know, related to just this device um, that is charged by the vehicle's uh, rest of the vehicle's electrical system, uh, but is, is isolated from, it's separate from the rest of the system, meaning you're not going to plug your cell phone charger into the cig cigarette lighter and suddenly get 48 volts going through it. And obviously, we're going to start fires that way. But you're right, Tammy, that's a lot more voltage underneath the hood than we would ordinarily see in a vehicle. But as we start getting more and more, you know, seeing more and more of this electrification of vehicles, we're going to start seeing some of this high-volt stuff uh, coming in more and more just because of its, uh, of its efficiency. So, and also, too, Tammy, one of the things that a lot of people uh, don't realize is it's not the, the voltage that makes the big difference in fires because voltage by itself uh, really doesn't ca catch a major fire. What catches it is the current, the amount mm -hmm. of capacity in the battery. So anything that's going to be running a, uh, a, a generator or, I'm sorry, an electric motor is going to have to have a lot of current uh, with it. And I think one of the reasons why they run it at 48 volts is so they can keep the current lower because the, the current has to go up as the voltage goes down. So 12-volt systems uh, have to provide more current to get the same amount of work done. Uh, Ordinarily, I would agree with you, Tony, but no, this one's liquid-cooled. <laughs> this is a liquid-cooled device, which makes me think that they are running this thing hot and hard, mm -hmm. meaning they're throwing a lot of amps to it, which might be the reason for the liquid cooling. Now, so. it's not water-cooled. I want to make sure that I, I point that out. This is not going to be a device that is ran in with the cooling system of the rest of the vehicle. Liquid it hydrogen? Has it, no, I'm going to think it's 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 oil bath actually. Oh, that, um, yeah, that, that makes sense. So yeah, it's so it's going to be an oil bath, kind of like some turbo systems are lubricated via the engine's oil. I don't know if it's going to be engine oil that is uh, or that is uh, that is cooling this, 
but that might be a possibility considering where it's and where and how it's going to be mounted on the engine. Mm-hmm. So, and also too, I would uh, normally have something uh, derogatory to say about uh, anything that's electric, and uh, I I feel that way with this, uh, but only because it's too soon. Now, I like the idea that they're doing this because you have to put things at the forefront. You have to try them out. You have to uh, get the uh, the public to buy into it. But from my personal opinion, I would stay far, far away from anything that's hybrid. And I would not do anything electric right now because we're not there yet. Eventually, we will be. A lot of it has to do with the amount of uh, power that we have. Uh, the lithium-ion uh, batteries certainly are nice, but they don't have the power density that, yeah. I, that I think we need to, to go electric. I tell you what, with the torque and the amount of uh, horsepower that you get instantly from an electric uh, motor, I think it is a wonderful idea for an off-road vehicle or a nice Jeep race car. <laughs> but, we, <laughs> yeah. but we need the, a better power supply first. So uh if you're going to go off road uh wait till you have an electric motor on all, all four wheels then and you can drive for two months without having to recharge then you got something absolutely i, I agree with you 100 percent there i mean the wrangler just plain and simply i don't care if it's a jku type of platform you just plain and simply don't have the room for the battery bank needed for an all electric wrangler at least at this point using the power density that tony was talking about you know, the amount of watts per square inch or mm-hmm. square foot or however you want to break it down. Um, this being a hybrid vehicle and it being a Wrangler and being the king of off-road platforms, I see this kind of being uh, kind of being accepted as a like kind of like the old school four-cylinder uh, YJs and TJs were. Kind of the redheaded stepchild uh, uh, of the Wrangler group, you know, not a whole lot of them were sold. Still not a whole lot of them on the road. You occasionally run into them, but it's like, oh, yeah, somebody actually bought one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's kind of how these are going to play out, at least for the first couple few model years. Maybe here, 2020, 2022, um, some new technology is, is, is on the way, and we might see a, a drastic change in Wrangler, possibly an all-electric Wrangler, but obviously time will tell. Well, how about renting your Jeep, then swapping it for a Ram? Fiat Chrysler Automobiles is exploring new ways to boost sales of its money-minting Jeep brand through a three-month pilot program with peer-to-peer car-sharing startup Turo. Now, as if that alone wasn't enough, the Cherry on Top is a vehicle trial subscription service for Jeep owners. So basically, FCA is recruiting, recruiting Jeep owners to rent out their vehicles through Turo, which lists 350,000 models on its ride-sharing platform and pitches itself as a way for people who finance their Jeep to offset their car payments. So let's say you really only drive your Jeep during the day or on weekends. Using this service, you get paid to let other people use your Jeep as if it was a rental during those off hours of the day or week that you're not ordinarily using it. There's lots of insurance and protection involved for both parties, so it's pretty legit. Fiat Chrysler is also partnering with Avis Budget Group on a three-month subscription service that will let new vehicle owners swap their Jeeps for other vehicle owners, or other vehicles rather, such as a Ram pickup or even a Dodge Challenger. Both pilots start next week in Boston and will be limited to the first 100 owners who register for each. So if you're living in the Boston area, this sounds attractive to you. Well, head over to your Jeep dealership, and chances are you might be able to get in on the program. The biggest stumbling blocks in figuring out the subscription model are going to be pricing and ultimately delivery. Avis will supply the inventory for the pilot program, 
to spare uh, local dealers the depreciation risk of holding onto the vehicles. Participants will be able to flip the models as many as six times during the three-month period. Two of those times with delivery, meaning they're going to actually deliver the vehicle you want to swap your Jeep out with to your door, and the rest of them requiring you to pick them up from the dealership or the rental place uh, yourself. Pretty interesting, huh? All right, quick question. Honesty time here. How many of you, uh, assuming there's multiple people in the house, how many of you have walked through the house, saw something, a bit of debris, a trash, um, I don't know, whatever, laying on the floor, in your case, Legos, Tammy, and just just walk by it. it you didn't drop no, it. No. You you didn't put it there. Why should I have to pick it up? Now, Tammy's the mom, so she probably always picks it up. There I'm, are four yeah. of us in this house. Three of them do not pick <laughs> anything up, whether Aww. it's theirs or not. So, so what do you think the chances are that whenever you get your vehicle back... <laughs> There's so much crap in it. It looks like a Honda that was recently stolen by Josh and returned by the police. Hey, now. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's going to take care of that damn car. That's why nobody wants to buy a rental whenever they go to sell them. This is just this is just nuts. Yeah. and, And who when are you not using your vehicle? I mean, well, you're not using yours right now. No, but I'm going to need it. How is it going to get back? Not till tomorrow morning. Yeah, it'd be back in the morning. And let's say the person three houses down wants to use your Jeep to go to the library or go pick up some groceries or, you know, go pick up a friend or something like that. Um, And, you know, they want to use your Jeep for a couple of hours and you get paid a couple hundred bucks. I'd, you know, hey, that's, that's, uh, works out for me pretty good. They need to knock over a convenience store and it's cheaper than (laughs) stealing one. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of, uh, lots of ways to tie it back to the person. But uh, yeah, there's lots of information. Everything is all on the up and up. Lots of protection for both parties so there's you know there's there's very little risk i mean obviously there's there's some degree of risk yes they can they can pull out of your driveway and go plow through a, a farmer's market or something but you know clearly there's still going to be a very large paper trail yeah. as to who yeah. was driving but, that but vehicle that, but your vehicle is going to be damaged or let's just say you're a non-smoker and you really don't like the smell of smoke how are they going to keep smokers from using your vehicle or or even keeping them from writing yeah i'm a non-smoker and then you get all this smell when you get it back uh it's it's just it's insane i mean i can understand maybe some people don't care uh but i couldn't i couldn't do it that now, way keep in mind this is going to be for brand spanking new leases only so not for the people who have a 2015 2016 jeep not right. even a 2017 or a 2018 jeep this is for 2019 customers only. So you have to have a brand spanking new Jeep in order to be even included in this program. And again, there's only 100 people that are going to be uh, even pr- participating in this program, and they're all going to be in the Boston area. So we're never well, likely going to ever see any of this out, out here. It's a pilot program to see if it, if it would work. But let's say that it did. I don't think it has a snowball's chance in hell. Uh, but uh, it's certainly, I, I just I just can't see it happening. And I, I personally think that they're trying to look at ways of getting money for these vehicles because they are so insanely expensive. Well, and they're trying re- to figure a deal where they can still get their money out of them. You got to remember, this isn't for people who have bought a Jeep. No, I understand. This is for people who are leasing a Jeep, mm-hmm. meaning that you are going to be giving that vehicle back. You didn't buy it. You're not going to be keeping it. You don't even get to modify it. You are just leasing the vehicle. This is the program. Those are the people who this program is is 
is applying to. They're they're trying to to uh, get those people's attention. You, you know, we know that you're not going to keep this vehicle. You only got it for you know this contract period. You may not even want to keep it for that long because you just saw that Challenger over there. Your buddy's got one too, and well, maybe you want to switch. Or maybe you need a truck next month or, you know, whatever, you know, there are a million reasons or whatever. But again, it's for lease people who are no, leasing I, the vehicle. I, I only, understood so. that, but I, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but the Jeep that I have was leased. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I, I leased it initially and then purchased it. Well, you might be the exception to the rule. <laughs> well, it, it gives you a better idea of what, where I'm coming from, because just because it's leased doesn't mean you might not want it. Now, but the mindset could be different too. Uh, that uh, I mean, Adobe has this model where you can't buy their software anymore. You have to rent it monthly. That yeah. way, they don't have to develop anything new. They can just sell you the same old crap every month. At least that's my take on it. So this looks to be the same type of thing here. And if you don't care about having a vehicle or having it paid for because you're going to be uh, flipping it every two years, or I mean, not flipping it, but getting out of it, getting it something else, mm-hmm. it may work for you. But I can't see doing it with a Jeep. Uh, not not being able to modify it, damn, you might as well just shoot me in the head. Yeah. No, well, but I'm, there I'm, are I'm so good. many people out there that are just, you see them, and they're just all driving stock Jeeps, and they're all, you know, young females. Throw a sticker at them, Tammy. We'll, we'll straighten <laughs> them out really quick. <laughs> we'll get yep. them straightened out. <laughs> well, hey, if you have a news tip or response to any one of our stories, we sure do want to hear from you. We like hearing from you guys and hearing what you have to say. Make, like, make sure to let us know what you have to say by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. And coming up a little bit later in the show, interview with Nate from SWB Crawler. Also coming up uh, in the show later, Tech Talk will be continuing our multi-part series and working with your Jeep's electronics. There's lots of electronics. There's lots of things to know. I'm so glad we're revisiting this. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. You know, we're always asking you to go check out the 4x4 Radio Network, and for good reason. There is a ton of great shows there to check out besides ours, and, well, you can tell your friends all about it, too. We've got something for everybody at 4x4radionetwork.com. How about the On the Trail podcast? Oh, and Trail Chasers is there. Center Steer podcast is a lot of fun, too. And don't forget about Dan and the 4x4 podcast. Lots of great off-road shows, and it's all for free. It's all at 4x4radionetwork.com. That's 4x4radionetwork.com. We'll see you there. Oh, and if you've been complaining to Dan over the last uh, few years about where's the episode, where's the episode, I was uh, checking my uh, my feed, my uh, uh, podcast uh, feeds in uh, my little app, and uh, there was another 4x4 podcast episode. So they're coming out regular if you weren't already aware. Shut up and listen. Shut up. Shut up. So shut up. You don't shut up. Shut up, Shane. Hey, shut up and listen. It's time for Wrangler talk. It's time for G Mama. Uh, Tony and Josh, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but um, you've heard of the polar vortex. Well, apparently that polar vortex has fractured into three different um, systems, and they're all heading to the East Coast. And they're saying last weekend was kind of the the beginning of it for us, which means we're getting snow and super, super cold weather. And we did get snow last Saturday and it was supposed to be tapering off during the day. So I, I think all the snow plows went home at around five and later Saturday evening, my son came home and he's like, gosh, I really want a Mountain Dew, but he couldn't 
drive his BMW because all of a sudden <laughs> we got this like band of snow showers and none of the plows were out. And so I was like, I'll take you. And we get in my Jeep. We're in the neighborhood. Did and you have your cape ready? Was it over there yes. by the hook? You just pulled it off and yes. stuck it on and I'm I here. Jumped, <laughs> I jumped into the, the phone booth and popped out. Um, so anyway, in the neighborhood, I knew the streets hadn't been plowed at all. And I know that our neighborhood streets are usually the last. And I always have a fun time driving around them in them. And normally I can just drive in two-wheel drive and I fishtail and it's fun. And um, and then when you get on the main roads, they're usually plowed. So we're in our neighborhood and we're driving and I'm fishtailing it. And I know how to drive in the snow. I grew up driving in the snow. So it was no big deal for me. And my son's like, God, this Jeep sucks. And I'm like, <laughs> is and he, we're happy. Is he, did he freeze before he got home? <laughs> and and we're, you know, we're kind of going up an incline and I was starting to spin and I was like, gosh, this isn't, you know, it's, I was having a hard time because the snow was, um, it had been packed down all day and then a whole nother layer was on it. So it was pretty slick. And we get up to the, and I said, Michael, I go, I'm still in two wheel drive. I'm just in regular, you know, I'm not in, I didn't put it in four wheel. And we get to the stop sign to go out on the, the main road. And I'm like, holy crap, the plows haven't even been in. So I whipped it into four high. The first time I've ever driven my Jeep in four high. Yes, I know. Shocking. Um, and I was absolutely amazed. It was like, you know, when you're um, water skiing on a lake and it's like glass and you're just smooth, you know, sailing right through that. Um, like what is it? What do they call it? A hot knife through butter or something mm -hmm. like that. I, I was simply amazed at how it drove so great in that snow. I wasn't fishtailing it. I wasn't sliding. It just was cruising right along. So um, there's a video on my Facebook page where I'm driving and my son and I are interacting and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he's like, I told you so. <laughs> so... I'll never get to live that down. So, but anyway, well, I just, quick question: lockers yeah. or no? Did you try the lockers while you were uh, in four high? Or you can't, oh, right? It only works no, in four low. Only in four low. Oh, yeah. those bastards! I know. So, and normally, and yes, we've had snow before. And like when I'm driving around town, the main roads are plowed, so I'm not using, I'm not, you know, using four high. When I'm at Roush Creek, of course, I'm in four low when there's been snow. So I've never really had the need for four high. Um, so I, I just wanted to share that with you guys. I thought it was pretty cool. The other thing I just wanted to, for any new um, four-wheeler out there, anybody new to four-wheel drive listening, just real quick, I wanted to share with you. I found this online. Um, when you're in, the, these are the different scenarios where you want to use four high, four low. So in the high range four-wheel drive, you can travel at normal speeds and you would engage this setting when you're on the highway and the roads are sketchy, like wet, snowy, and icy. And it's also good for those level, loose gravel roads, packed sand or mud. So when you're on those types of terrains, you simply want to put it in four high and you just use your normal driving speeds when you need this extra traction. Now, for low, 
this and and for high you can do that while you're still driving it's like shift on the fly <clears throat> but for low you don't want to do that no. um <laughs> for low <laughs> no. range there's actually a video on my youtube channel that explains how you for the jeep wrangler owners anyway how you can shift into four low there's a special sequence to it and it, it's also in your owner's manual but the four lay the four low driving setting is for the serious stuff like deep sand snow mud water crossings climbing the rocks going up and down the hills and when you use four low you want to remember that these are for the low speeds you're not generally going to want to go past like maybe 30 miles per hour when you're um, in four low and the four low is designed for maximum traction and maximum power that torque and the wheels are going to turn more slowly in four low and then four high now one thing to keep in mind never you should never be in four-wheel drive on the flat, smooth, dry roads with the asphalt because that's going to damage your drivetrain. So um, just remember those few things. And so excited. It's going to be snowing all weekend, rainy, ice, and maybe I'll get to use my four-high again. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have to say about all that. We're, we're stuck Dead middle in a La Nina, El Nino, too warm and wet. I don't. We're not getting any snow this year. Oh, oh bummer. Wow. Yeah, I'm pissed. Bummer. So not I, even up in the mountains. No, we're getting up in the mountains, but, but it right. doesn't it's, count, Tammy. How dare you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not Sorry. on my roof. It doesn't count. <laughs> when I don't get to go drifting sideways through my neighborhood, you know, four wheel right. drifts around corners. Come on, it's just not the same. Exactly. So I'll yeah. just mention this real quick about four high. This is one of the reasons why I loved my NP242 on my Cherokee so much because I could drive four wheel high all the time. I didn't have to worry about the uh, uh, the road conditions being dry. If I wanted to ride on the the dry stuff, I could because uh, even though four wheel drive was engaged, they didn't link the front and rear. Um, drive shafts together so I could actually steer like you would normally steer uh, it, it felt a little different when it was in a, a four high uh, the uh, the full time four wheel high and that was one of the reasons why I had such a hard time getting rid of that NP242 uh, but I will say this <laughs> I did go with an Atlas so it was uh, it was very it was a very nice upgrade yeah, you're not missing that full time one bit. Um, no, I am. It was it was very nice, especially just a, a light misting of rain. You know where it misses. That's mixes no up the cause for the all wheel drive. Give me a break. Well, actually, it is. Uh, you have one, so I would. I'm surprised you wouldn't have uh, experienced this yourself because it's not needed. It's it's just like maybe if I'm driving when it's like you know kind of partially snowy and I'm changing elevations and it's. It's a little snowy up here, but it's definitely rainy down there. And oh, I'm back into the snow up here. You know, maybe that kind of instance. But but even then, just paying a little more attention to what you're doing, you don't need you don't need four wheel drive. Well, well, this is what I was where I was going with this, and what I was able to do with it was even if there was a light rain, and you know that this brings up the oil and it gets kind of slick when it first happens. Uh, I could make 90 degree turns just like I was normal driving, as long as I had it in full time uh, four wheel drive. And it was really nice having that uh, traction and that ability to, to drive normally 
uh, without having to worry about you know spinning the Jeep or losing traction. It was it was really nice, and I really uh, really liked that. And I'm surprised you didn't experience that, Josh. Maybe uh, you just said, "Well, I can't put it in four wheel drive high. It just there's no reason for it. I, I put it in any time that I wanted to to try it out, so I could experience it, and it was great." No, I mean I've I've driven a bunch of Grand Cherokees before. I, I'm familiar with the with the all with the Jeep's all wheel drive system. It's just you know I mean, is it, it the same as the MP242? I mean, as far as drivability, your driving. No, no. I mean, I mean, as far as the power distribution, whenever because I know the 242 has like well, a the, 60 the 40 power distribution between front and rear d- differentials, and I, I've never done a Grand Cherokee. I don't know what the 209, 207, or however that stuff. 249, acts. I think. 249. Yeah, I think it's uh, now I'm brain farting on that. Yeah, uh, I just have experience case, with the 242, and, and it was wonderful. So I, I kind of equate that to what you what you were experiencing, Tammy. But I, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not hammering the gas as i'm going into a corner uh, I you was. know it's, i'm was not great. and it's i mean there's only <laughs> like speed time yeah, and place for that but you know you accelerate into a corner and then did i just hear corner, you say time not, and place are you going to tell me to get off corner. your yard your yard here anytime soon uh, no, yeah. come on you whippersnappers get off my grass <laughs> so i just want to for you listening out there np242 is that what you said tony <laughs> yeah that is a transfer case Correct. Oh, I'm, I'm, yes. Yes. So, uh, I'm not <laughs> saying that. I thought I, she was going to complain about the numbers. No, no. I just, uh, I'm just remembering back to our little dictionary time. Yeah. Somebody oh, might excellent. be like, what? Speaking what of that, speaking, I'm, I'm glad you said the word dictionary, Tammy, because yep. uh, over the last, uh, well, several days, I've been working uh, quite diligently on, on putting together what, likely is going to be the most comprehensive <laughs> list yes. of the terms and all. definitions uh, in the in the off-road world and, and you're going to you're only going to be able to find it in one place and we haven't determined where we're going to put that yet whether it's going to be uh, on uh, on the uh, the forum the Jeep Talk forum whether it's going to be on our website maybe we'll just plaster it all over the web and on your website too uh, but no, we're, we're actually putting uh, right now. I think I'm up past nine or ten pages my of terminology God. and definition. Oh my goodness! You know, sometimes Gosh, you're on a roll. Sometimes crack cocaine is a bad thing for people, <laughs> but you have changed the whole outlook I have for crack cocaine. Uh, just just in this alone, <laughs> it's great for weight loss too. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I got no, I, 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 I have all this information up in my head, and and Tony had wow. sent out this email like last week or something saying. Yes, Yesterday. Hey, we're we're putting together this kind of like frequently asked questions about you know terminology and 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 you know different kinds of uh, to you know, help out the new users, you know, as and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Jeeps. we got a lot of people that are new to jeeping and new to the show and whatnot, and they may not understand you know things like you know what, what an MP two forty two, yeah, an MP two forty two is you know that sort of stuff. So we have what will be the most comprehensive list of off road and Jeep related terms. Uh, anywhere on the web and we'll be posting that up here very very soon uh, here in the next maybe week or two and of course we'll make a big announcement here on the show and and let you guys know where you can find that Uh, and it'll be a great resource for anybody who's uh, new to four-wheel drive or off-roading or jeeping jeeping in general yep yep and actually that was a uh, a recommendation made by eric hay johnson over at the uh, podcast talent coach because he was listening to the show and going, wow, this is interesting. What the hell does that mean? What does this mean? Yeah. 
what, what's a JK? What's an yeah, LJ? Exactly. A- you know, these things that roll off our tongues that we've been experiencing for a number of years. And there's lots of uh, lots of you out there that don't know what that is and, and don't want to spend the time having to look it up. But uh, at least if we have it all in one place, maybe it'll be easier for you. Hey, coming up later in the show, we're going to hear from Nikki G. And he's going to be talking about a Jeep feud, I believe. Good morning, Jeep Talk Show. This is Brandon from South Dakota. I'm just calling for the address so I can get some of your lovely stickers to put on a couple Priuses at the local Toyota dealership. Thank you. Have a good day. Uh, this guy gets a stack of stickers. <laughs> I don't care. A pallet. Get him all the stickers that he needs. Now, I, I got to say, for legal reasons, we do not condone placing actual sticky side of the sticker to any vehicle that is not your own. <laughs> But but a Prius would be pretty damn funny. Make sure you get a picture of that. Uh, but just use a little bit of tape. Don't mess that up. So, <laughs> so if you... Yeah, yeah, or a tack well. That would be good, too. Um, so if uh, you haven't heard, we're giving away stickers. All you have to do is send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, or S-A-S-E. To find out where uh, to send it, just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. You'll see how to contact us there. We'll respond with the mailing address where to send your S-A-S-E. And for a limited time, you can be a JTS ambassador. Actually, that's just to try to get you excited about it. We'll do it from now on. Uh, you'll get more stickers and JTS cards, so you can leave a sticker or card under the windshield wiper. Notice I said windshield wiper of that badass Jeep you always <laughs> see at Walmart. <laughs> Just write ambassador on the envelope. Yeah, I could see us getting into a fight with uh, Toyota owners and Priuses. A little and, uh, bit of trouble on that one. <laughs> the new Bronco, the new Ford Bronco, the 2020 uh, new Ford Bronco, you know. Criminal trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I told him not to do it. You got tech questions? Ah, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. I just, I, it's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! Last week, we got out the cables and jumped an old part of the show we haven't touched on in quite a while. Electronics. Electricity scares a lot of people, and understandably so. There's aspects of your Jeep's electrical system that, if not respected or worked on properly, could severely injure or kill somebody. So, despite my encouragements, make sure if tackling the electrical system on your Jeep is out of your comfort zone, leave it to the professionals. Last week's show had some valuable tips for when making basic connections in the wiring. We finished off the segment talking about weatherproofing connections and some installation supplies that make that possible. But there was a term I used, and I'm going to use it again, that you really want to pay attention to, and that's marine grade. Marine grade and weatherproof hardware is usually a little bit more expensive, but it's worth it in the long run. It's not always feasible on some late model vehicles, but whenever possible, I like to use these marine grade or military style battery terminals, rather than those crappy, soft, metal painted, red and black regular parts store terminals that you commonly see on parts store shelves. Oh sure, they're super cheap and they fit the budget nicely, making room for a fresh tree to hang from the mirror, but the more expensive option has several advantages that you just plain and simply can't ignore. You can cleanly attach multiple large leads to the 3 8 inch through bolt on these terminals, and all of the cable ends themselves only need to be a conventional ring lug. This makes swapping over the cables very easy and opens the door for future accessory tie-ins and upgrades. There's much more positive solid connection with multiple cables than in other methods, and should the terminal get corroded, which is a lot less likely when using these grade of terminals, replacing it will be very easy. 
You can find them at parts stores, although it usually takes a good counterman and a book to find the right part number if you don't go the universal route. Don't mistake these for the cheap terminals that use butterfly bolts either. Those are a bit better than OEM terminals, but if you have a high amp system or are running a large draw with things like winches, or amps, lighting, well, then stick with the solid brass marine grade or the super beefy mil-spec hardware. Mil-spec kits or the military spec kits will run anywhere from 15 to 30 bucks, depending on where you go, and they're easily found online through sellers like Amazon, Summit, or JEGS. Now, speaking of battery cables, if you're doing a remote battery install or relocating your batteries to the rear of the vehicle, just remember one thing if you're doing it yourself. It is never, ever a good idea to run large cables through a hole in sheet metal, really any electrical wire of any kind or size for that matter. The potential for cuts and abrasion is extremely high, and a compromised battery cable is a certain dead short. Think welding wire at this point, and you're pretty much guaranteed a fire. A much better method is to use what are called bulkhead connectors. If you can't or don't want to use rubber grommets, then bulkhead connectors or through-panel battery connectors are the way to go. These are threaded studs molded into an insulator plate or a plug that provide a very clean, safe way to pass electricity from one side of sheet metal to the other. I've used these, on, uh, these to go through floorboards and trunks and firewalls on all sorts of vehicles and installations, and they're very reliable if, if, if installed correctly. The single stud versions are also very handy when you have multiple leads that must be connected to a single battery but have run out of space on the terminal itself. Of course, the proper way to handle that would be an auxiliary fuse block, but that's getting into some stuff that we'll cover later on. Let's talk about protecting those battery terminals really quick, or the studs, or any exposed connection point that can't be fully insulated for that matter. Just about anybody, just about everybody out there has seen that pungent greenish-white snowball on their friend's battery post <laughs> after getting that 2 a.m. call for a jump. Rubber caps only work so well, and those belt discs should be changed several times a year, and ain't nobody got time for that. Mm -mm. Any battery could benefit from a protectant treatment, which usually involves cleaning away any corrosion with baking soda and hot water and a wire brush and applying a protective coating to the terminals. Just like hot dogs, batteries like condiments too. Although swap the ketchup for stuff like things uh, like Permatex or CRC spray-on battery protectant. These are great products and work very well for keeping corrosion at bay. A single can of this stuff will generally last you a lifetime, so it's money well spent. If you don't want to spare a trip to the parts store, good old-fashioned Vaseline, petroleum jelly, will work just as good, but typically only for about a year or less before it will need to be refreshed. Okay, next week, we're going to go even deeper and get into some things not to do when messing with the wiring of your Jeep, and I'll even give you some pointers on how to clean up the previous owner's install if you've been left with a plate of spaghetti under the dash and hood. You know, uh, something you said made reminded me of this. I have a anniversary coming up, a marriage anniversary, and uh, prior to being married, I was uh, a single a single stud. So, oh jeez, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but but I got to it really quick. I didn't have a long story before the thank god <laughs> before the letdown. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I, the Vaseline. Now you put that on the outside. You don't put it on the post and then put the the block on top of it. You because I, I mean I'm sure it would 
work its way through. But when you put yeah, say Vaseline, it goes on the outside like the spray does. You don't want to yeah, put anything it, between the post and the 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 connector, the terminal. Right, unless it's dielectric grease. Dielectric grease actually uh, it allows the electricity to pass through it. Vaseline, you you might get some uh, voltage drop on that. I would not recommend just slathering the go. post and the terminal with that, and then trying to you know hook it everything all up. You'll probably still get a connection, and it'll probably probably be just fine. But I'm going to recommend against that. Just kind of, you know, do it on the outside and and uh, and you should be just fine that way. So not a Bill Cosby Friday night type of uh, slathering. Oh, Tony. <laughs> it's just on the outside. <laughs> Liberally applied, but on Liberally, external, for, I like, for I like, external use only. I like what you had. I like how you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you like the spray. I like the spray. And I was, uh, when you said that, I was, I was, oh, I hope that stuff is good because I actually need to get some more of that stuff. Uh, it, not that it ran out. I just, I just lost it in the, the garage of stuff. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're typically a smaller bottle. You're not yes. going to see a spray spray paint size bottle of this stuff. They're, they, they are typically smaller aerosol bottles. But even with that, they, they typically will last you a very, very long time. The life of the vehicle, if not your own. And I did not know about the felt pads. I didn't realize that you had to change them that often. Uh, I mean, you should. Uh, you should. I mean, yes, you could go probably a year to three years. You could probably even go the life of the battery, depending on the the, the, the climate you live in and, and how you how and where you park your vehicle. Um, but for most people out there, typically you're going to want to replace those at least two or three times a year. Now the 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 the, the fuzz that sh- that sh- shows up, I kept thinking of a a Slurpee when you were talking about the snowball, the snowball yeah, type thing. That snow shows cone, up. yeah, you yeah, the snow cone. Um, that only happens on non sealed batteries, or would you also see that on sealed and AGM batteries? Well, no, it, it happened on any battery, really. Uh, it just depends on, uh, again, on the environment, how much moisture you have under the hood, how little of protection you have on those cables. Uh, it, it doesn't matter the kind of battery. So it's uh, not a battery get, acid interaction. It's not, it's not. Well, it, it is battery acid, but it's it's oxidation ultimately, and it happens on any battery okay. terminal. Okay, good. I was just wondering, had a few battery questions. There are things that oh, I've absolutely. experienced. It's good stuff. And, yeah, good stuff. W- wasn't ahead. I, I I knew what to do. I just didn't know why it was happening. So. Oh, and yes, the old wives' tale of throwing a can of Coca Cola yeah. over your battery. It does work. Yes, co- the soda, soda water. You know, the Coca Cola, whatever, Pepsi, you name it. Uh, maybe not as much Mountain Dew, but you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the brown sodas uh, absolutely will go ahead and neutralize the the oxidation on your on your battery terminal. Uh, it will leave a sticky mess. That's why I recommend the uh, the baking soda and water. Kind of make yourself a little bit of a of a paste or a, a slurry, if you will, and and you, you kind of spread that on there, let it do its thing, and and you just wipe it off afterwards, or pour a bunch of hot water on it, and uh, just rinse it all off, and you're good to go. So when you use the wire brush, you do need to be careful of your clothing, don't you? Because otherwise, you'll have a lot of little holes in it from the battery acid. Yeah, the battery acid can uh, get everywhere, um, and so you know, eye protection, gloves would be a good idea if you have sensitive skin. Um, but really, if if you and obviously if you're working on your vehicle, you don't want to be wearing a suit, um, and this isn't something that you're going to be doing uh, typically on your way into work in the morning. So um, yeah, you want to be wearing some grubbies. You, you're likely going to get some of that battery acid around, but uh, you get those clothes in the wash relatively soon. You wash your hands and, and face relatively soon afterwards and you'll be just fine if you uh, but you let that stuff sit in the corner of the garage for for a week before you get to it well it might have some holes in it yeah if you uh if you have uh access to your wife's bathrobe that would be perfect no don't do that. <laughs> well anything to add maybe you have a question for tech talk or a suggestion on a topic that we should cover just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com contact and send us a message let us know what you have in mind 
I wonder if uh, Mrs. Pre-Runner is uh, trying to sleep right now. Wake up! Don't you hate getting up day after day to that same old annoying alarm? Announcing the Jeep Talk Show Alarm Clock. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? What's the matter, sleepyhead? Need a few more minutes? Well, you're in luck. The Jeep Talk Show Alarm Clock comes with a snooze. How are you, sir? How are you, sir? Good God, Mom, stop. I don't want to go to school. How much is the Jeep Talk Show Alarm Clock? $100? $50? No, don't be silly. It's only $49.95. And if you order now, we'll throw in a Jeep Talk Show sticker. It's just in time for Christmas. The Jeep Talk Show Alarm Clock, not available in retail stores. Void where prohibited, not an actual product. Warning, the Jeep Talk Show sticker may never arrive. From the wilds of Alaska to the searing heat of the Australian outback, what will you find in the back of a discerning Overland vehicle? Well, an LT Wright Knives Overland Machete, of course. These are handmade from 1075 high carbon steel and your choice of either black or natural micarta. Need something that will stand out in the woods? Opt for the orange G10. It will not blend in with your surroundings wherever you wander. LT Wright Knives is a small company with a family feel located in Wintersville, Ohio. They have a passion for what they do, and LTWK creates knives for bushcraft, everyday carry, hunting, cooking, and overlanding, so you've got a lot of options. Each knife is thoughtfully designed, built, and tested before it heads out the door. Although they look good enough for the display cabinet, these knives like to work. Put the knife through its paces, and you're going to know you're backed by a lifetime warranty, so carve, slice, and chop to your heart's content. Carry your preferred LT Wright Knives model with pride. You're helping to support an all-American company that will stand behind their product with a lifetime guarantee and the satisfaction of a job well done. These heirloom quality pieces will outlast your adventure, so plan well, drive safely, and carry an LT Wright Knife. Find out more online at ltwrightknives.com. That's LT Wright Knives, right with a W, dot com. Hey, and when you buy your LT Wright Knife, uh, call in and let us know what you think. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Hey, Jeep Talk Show. It's a voice you haven't heard in a long time because I'm a slacker and I've been really busy with work and other things. And uh. I... Actually missed the number of episodes, and I'm very Nate? sorry. Hey, Tony. Anyway, it's Nate. Oh, that's weird. How was this playing a <laughs> voicemail with you? How did you yeah. get on here? Total. I just I found your Skype in my contact list, and I figured I'd just call in. Oh, pff, my <laughs> bad. We're supposed to be doing an interview tonight. <laughs> oh, really? Did, did I call at a bad time? Oh, uh, well, that's deb- debatable. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it just so happens that I have a nice little intro here for you. So let me read this. Nate is a Jeeper, blogger, YouTuber, and podcaster with uh, 20 years of experience. And I don't think those are dog years of Jeep and off-road experience. He's been running a website called uh, SWB Crawler, a Jeep tech and blog site for over a decade. You're sounding old, Nate. You can also find him on YouTube at youtube.com slash SWB Crawler. Nate, thanks for joining us tonight. I'm sorry, what? I said I don't feel old. (laughs) (laughs) well we'd have to get a second opinion on that (laughs) so tammy's with us tonight too and uh, still wearing a christmas uh, shirt you're wearing a christmas she's wearing a christmas shirt she's she's got a grinch attitude apparently because it's a grinch in a jeep yeah it's the grinch driving a jeep it's a jeep shirt people are listening to the podcast going where is it i don't see it (laughs) it's great great for an audio podcast describing what i can see (laughs) 
All right, exactly. Nate. So we we got the twenty seven voicemails uh, from you, and, uh, and you know, I just thought it was better to get you on here and talk to you than it was to uh, to play the uh, the voicemail. So uh, I think, in your own words, you've been a bad boy. You haven't been listening uh, or keeping up, I should say, with the latest episodes of the Jeep Talk Show. Yeah, and I think there's actually a few somewhere in November that I still haven't listened to. I'm gonna have to go back and find them. There was something about a gong. Oh, <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't listened listened to the Gong Show, no pun intended, uh, yes. you need to need to go back and do that. Yeah, I will definitely be going back to listen to that. My uh, my, my podcast uh, app only caches three episodes at a time, and I think I missed about six. I'm very sorry. Are you uh, <laughs> using the Jeep Talk Show app? Sure. <laughs> You should. Everyone should use the Jeep Talk Show app. Well, it's a good thing that you point that out because if you have the Jeep Talk Show app, all 368 episodes are available. Now, you don't have to use that. You don't have to have that available to you. But if you want to, you can download that on your iPhone or smartphone, and there it is with you all the time. And uh, I'm sure you go to the bathroom at work all the time. It's a perfect place to listen to the show. I don't know. When they hear the, the voices coming through the door, you know, that, that well, would be weird. Well, I think for for me, it's whenever I'm laughing in the stall. <laughs> That's a, that freaks people out. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it would. Yeah, I've just been a little busy at work. I'm sure you get that, Tony. Oh, yeah. Uh, being that we both work in the same industry. But uh, yeah, just things have been hectic. Hadn't had a chance to listen. So one of the things that you had mentioned, I mean, let's just get straight into this. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned in your voicemail, and I hadn't listened to all of them, but you know that Google text, uh, uh, voice to text thing, I've, I've read them, and it's not always real accurate, so I may be wrong here, but I, th- I think you were talking something about uh, standard versus automatic transmission uh, wheeling, and, and, and it was a big topic. I think it was last episode that uh, uh, Tammy and Josh were talking about that on a, an email from, uh, from Gretchen. Yeah, you've had a thread going for two or three episodes, which are the two or three that I've listened to recently in like the past three days, <laughs> that uh, you've been talking about uh, automatic versus manual. I think it started with uh, Tammy and Wrangler Talk, if I remember correctly. I believe so, yeah. Right. So I have experience with both, and I had some opinions on one side and the other, and um well, you know, I had called in to simply express those opinions. Oh, please. <laughs> uh, and, and so we got you here as an, in an interview format. Let's, uh, let's yeah, hear right. it. I think we can go do a back and forth better than we can with the, uh, uh, you know, we play the voicemail and then we all make our comments and then you have to, we, then we have to wait the uh, eight weeks for you to catch up and then you call back yeah. in. So yeah, right. this will be more like live real time type thing. Yeah, it's weird. So, so what do you? A, so you have done both. You've 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 wheeled both uh, standard and automatic, uh, and I would hope that it, you've done this at the same park, so that it would be you can't even say that the park was different. Uh, so, uh, what has been? What what has your experience been? So my first two YJs, I had a ninety YJ and a ninety two YJ. Um, they were both manual. One was a four cylinder. One was a six cylinder. Um, and that's really where I cut my teeth and really learned to wheel was on manual. Um, for a very long time, I held the opinion that only true Jeeps had manual transmissions. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. I've heard you uh, utter those same words just uh, just recently. Um, and then I had a 2013 JK, which was also manual. Um, I, I've been through this story a number of times about why I traded the 13 JK in on a 2005 LJ, but when I did, um, the only thing I could get was automatic, which kind of bummed me out. I really wanted to get a manual, but well, still, uh, it's, a, it's an LJ. I mean, you know, you got to go with what you got, what you can find. Yeah, exactly. When, when you find an LJ in the condition that this one was in, with the miles it had on the dealership lot, 
for the price it was at, you take it. So yeah, that's I what agree. I did. Um, so I was uh, a little worried about the first time I get this thing off road, but you know what? It has been great, and um, there's there's a lot of strengths to both uh, both sides of this fence. And I don't know. We can just sort of hash through each each one of them, I suppose. Um, there was some discussion about whether the manual transmission would be really hard on the clutch. Um, and I think there's a yes and a no to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it well, really it depends comes, on the driver. Yeah, and their experience, I would think. Yeah, it comes down to driver. There's a, there's definitely a skill required to drive in the rocks with a manual transmission. Uh, and the rocks are what I like the most. So that's really where I have the most experience um, and where I've you know stalled the most, which mm-hmm. is really <laughs> what... What happens frequently when you're driving a manual transmission in the rocks? Um, there was some comments from uh, her name was Gretchen, I think, right? Yes, that's from correct. Carolina Trails. Um, there was some comments from her about how she'll just throw it in gear and put it for low, and she'll ease the clutch out, and then she'll just sort of idle over an obstacle. That is a very, very viable uh, way to crawl. In fact, that's really the desirable way to crawl. So she's not wrong. Uh, that's absolutely the way you you want things to work when you're in the rocks. You want to idle real slow. You want you want a real low crawl ratio. You don't want to be stalling in the middle of the rocks. You don't want to be uh, thumping on that throttle to keep the RPMs up to keep it from from stalling. Right, and but, you don't want to be feathering the uh, the clutch either because that of course glazes it over, makes it hot. Right and, now, yeah. Now again, that's that's an art, right? You can use that to your advantage. You can feather the clutch to let it slip a little bit when you need to slow down, or when you when you need. Um, basically, it just gives you that control over the entire drivetrain, mm-hmm. which is really what manual is great for. Oh yeah, love the control. Uh, well, one of the just real quick, one of the things, the point I was trying to make is you have to be, even though you know how to drive a clutch and you're on the highways and you're in the city, you can do that. It's totally different when you're on off-road and you have to have the experience to be able to do it properly. Yeah. That's yeah, what really my point is. was. It has nothing to do with the vehicle itself. It has to do with the driver and what they know and what their experience level is on the trails. That, that depends on the vehicle, too. If you If you go to the Jeep dealership and buy a Rubicon and you put a brand new driver behind the wheel and you take them out on the rocks and you tell them you just idle over the rocks, they're going to have a little bit of trouble. If you take a well-built rig that someone has dumped a bunch of money into and a decently low-range transfer case and the right gears and all the right ratios to get from RPMs to spin and tires, uh, you could put just about anybody behind the wheel, point them at a pile of rocks, and with a good spotter, they'll be able to idle their way right through. Um, so yes and no, it all depends. It it depends on how much money has been dumped into that rig and how much thought has been put into it. But, uh, the, the average Jeep with the average driver, yeah, there's going to be some skill required to make this happen. Well, that's the case in any situation. I mean, it it requires, uh, it requires skill and experience to be able to do any of this stuff. It includes, that includes driving on the road. Um, and I think what you're saying here is kind of what, uh, if, if I remember correctly, one of Josh's points about, uh, having to have, uh, the right, uh, uh, gears and the right gearing and the differential, uh, the the differentials and the transfer case. And I was hearing something different, uh, from, uh, from Gretchen as far as, um, that's not necessarily true. I mean, certainly it would be much easier with a much higher, uh, overall crawl ratio to, to keep it at idle. But, uh, so 
can you does the terrain because i think that was one of your points tammy was the terrain is different so if the terrain is easier you really don't have to worry so much about having the high overall gear ratio yeah the 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 terrain definitely comes into play so the the gear ratio um a lot of people put a whole lot of emphasis on that crawl ratio you know the 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 transmission gear ratio plus the transfer case gear ratio plus the the axle gear ratio gets you your over, not plus, but there's a formula to get your actual crawl ratio. And the higher that number, basically, the slower your vehicle will crawl based on, you know, idle or whatever. Um, the reality is a lot of people build their Jeep sort of in phases or in spurts. Uh, what you might do is, okay, I've got my Jeep. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a lift on it, and I'm gonna get some bigger tires on it. I can't quite afford those gears yet, or I can't quite afford an Atlas or a four to one yet. Uh, so I'm gonna wheel it as it is and do my best, right? And that's what I did for a very long time on my blue YJ, and that thing came from the factory with 3.07 gears in the axles. If you want to talk about a bad gear ratio for rock crawling, there you have it. <laughs> uh, but that thing. I really had to play with the clutch to get it through the rocks. I really had to be creative. Um, I couldn't just point it at an obstacle and let the clutch out and let it crawl because it would, as soon as it got just a little too much force against those tires, it would stall. So I can't say that is unanimously true for every Jeep that you get on the trail. Now, if you went out and bought a Rubicon, it's probably true. If it's close to stock or if you've got mildly larger tires on it yeah with the four to one and the the four tens and the lockers i mean sure so yeah it comes down to gear ratio uh i don't know how else to put that so i i'd, I'd like to go back to tony's statement about you have to be experienced to drive on the road i think driving on the road and driving on rocky trails i think your experience levels have to it, it you can't just be it, it's not the same no, it's not, because right. one is something you learn in driver's ed, but my point is is that nobody has the experience until you go out and do it. So right. I don't want I don't want us to come across as uh oh you can't do it. It's it's this this is this too difficult to do. I wouldn't even try it if you don't have experience. Well how are you supposed to get experience? So that's the way right. I took it whenever you said that. It, it it's not something that is so complex that that nobody uh, that only special people can do. Anybody no, can do it. Right, but I'm I feel like I'm talking to those new Jeepers who are trying to make a decision. Gosh, should I go with automatic or should I go with manual? I've never driven a manual. I've never off-roaded. I think you should go with the automatic. Well, that's a good um, point, Nate. Uh, you've had both. What do you think would be the best uh, for people to to get? I mean, a Jeep's a big investment, and uh, you've you've gone through several Jeeps. I don't like getting rid of a Jeep. I like hanging on to it for yeah. for a long period of time. It's just the way I am. It may not be the way everybody is, but if you were going to buy one Jeep from from now on, you know, I'm going to get today. I'm going to keep it for 20 years, and I'm going to do all kinds of things with it. Uh, what would what would be your advice for the newbie? So um, we talked a lot about manual and gears and whatnot. We didn't talk a whole lot about automatic. I'm going to touch on that at least briefly, and then I'll give you an answer. Sure. Uh, so driving with the automatic, I got to say um, it is much easier on the trail because there's less to think about. You don't need to think about the clutch. You don't need to think about what gear you're in. Um, you lose a little bit of control, but with the right amount of experience, it's not a big deal, uh, at least in my from what I've 
from what I've experienced. The the LJ, I mean, it's not crazy built. I've got some 33s on it to get me some clearance under the axles. I've got some spacers on the springs. They're even still stock springs. And just to clear the 33s. Um, and I wheel with guys doing blues. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of experience, but the Jeep is working really well. I'm not saying I couldn't do that with a manual, but I'm saying it's a lot easier. It oh, also, yeah. in uh, in my experience, it works really well because I, I also guide uh, for off-road consulting and for the Jeep Jamboree USA when they come up to AOA and driving an automatic um, I mean, no one's ever like questioned my Jeep hood <laughs> because of <laughs> driving an automatic and, uh, I, it just, I can concentrate more on the people I'm trying to lead or the people that I'm trying to teach and think less about what gear I'm in and whether I'm going to about, you know, about to stall or whether the, the clutches <laughs> in or out or whatever. Sure. Plus, plus I, I developed this weird thing while I had the, the JK where I was getting like pain in my foot. And I, once I sold the JK, the pain went away. So either JKs are painful or I was starting to develop an actual problem with my foot from pushing the clutch in. My goodness. So, you know, that's like a whole other, uh, whole other angle to go on. There's, there's people that physically have trouble pushing a clutch or don't have the coordination or, you know, like whatever I was developing my foot that went away. <laughs> well, uh, you didn't have that problem with the YJs though. No, I didn't, but I was younger then. You know, there was a good three, four years between my YJ and the JK. Um, well, when I parked the YJ, I was parked for two years or so before I sold it. Um, and then, you know, before I bought the JK and I drove the JK for a good year and a half before I had any problems. So I don't know. I don't really know what it was. But at any rate, um, to answer the question you asked, uh, I don't know that I would definitely push anybody in one direction or the other if the person you're talking to already has a desire to drive manual. Like, personally, I like to drive manual on the road. I don't currently, but if someone, you know, gave me a Jeep or gave me a car that was manual and said drive this to work every day, I would probably be happier than if it was an automatic. I just enjoy it. I think it's more fun. Yeah. Um, if that was my off also my off-roader, I would drive it off-road, you know, because, again, it's fun and I like driving manual. But I'm not going to say that you're less of a Jeeper because you're driving automatic. I mean, I'm doing it and I think it's working really well. I know lots of other people that drive automatics. I know there's a lot of the Ultra 4, Ultra four cars are automatic. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you want to win and if uh, you can focus on things that right. are getting you to win, that's all the better. Right. I just right. uh, and, and I hope that we haven't come across uh, in any way, shape, or form that uh, if you are, uh, if you have an automatic, you're any less of a jeeper than anybody else. I mean, uh, I don't think so. I think it's his personal preference. I just, I just, uh, I didn't want people coming across uh, or, or, or getting from us that you have to be an automatic if you're going to be in rocks. It's, it's preferred because it makes it easier. But right. I don't like the loss of control. I also, as as my, I use my Jeep as a daily driver. Tammy does as well. Uh, uh, a standard transmission will give you better gas mileage, or, or can <laughs> if you yeah, if you don't drive you it drive like it. a race car. <laughs> yeah, it comes down to that that uh, personal driving style. It's kind of it's um, kind of fun doing those speed shifts and stuff with the standard. But if yeah, if you if you're trying to to save MPG, you can definitely do it better on uh, with something that you have full control over when the the clutch is locking up. 
Yeah, right. And there's also little cheats and whatnot that you can do in a manual transmission um, to make it a little easier to drive off-road, like a hand throttle um, to, to sort of give you that extra foot oh, <laughs> that yeah, some people feel idea. like they need. Um, or you can use the e-brake for braking instead of, you know, when you need to use the brake instead of the clutch cord, assuming that you have a handle uh, e-brake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's ways to make it a little easier. So, you know, I, I, I don't, if someone asked me my opinion, I would probably have to get a feel for who they were before I told them which one they should buy. That's probably a good idea because everybody's a little different. But, but you yeah. would not say, no, don't get a standard. And you wouldn't say, no, don't get an automatic. It, it just really depends on how you're going to use it and uh, what you feel uh, your capabilities are. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that I would just unanimously say one side or the other, at least not now. There was a day when I probably would have recommended anybody buy a manual, but that was also in the days when 90% of Jeeps you found were manual. Mm-hmm. There was a time, especially in the YJ, where it was hard to find an automatic because most of them came manual. That's what everybody wanted. Now, what about when you have a um, a manual and you're doing lots of water um, trails, trails with lots of water, it's getting pretty deep. I've heard a lot of people say that um, water and clutches are not a good mix. Yeah, so it's it's definitely possible to get water in between the clutch and the flywheel. Um, I don't know how it is on the JK, if they've changed anything. Uh, in the YJ... At least, I, it had never happened to me, because I don't do a lot of water, but I've, I'd heard stories that if you get yourself into deep enough water where the transmission, like the bell housing and the transmission, are at least partially submerged in water, and then you push the clutch in, thus sort of breaking that seal between the clutch and the flywheel, uh, if dirt and grime and water got in between the clutch and the flywheel, you'd essentially be dead in the water, uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Uh, because the clutch wouldn't be able to get enough friction against the flywheel and you wouldn't be able to, you know, however many RPMs you, you push through that engine, it wouldn't be able to drive the transmission. And then you'd have to get the thing towed home and get the clutch replaced. At least that's what I've been told. Again, I haven't seen have you this ever, happen. I was just going to say, have you ever seen this happen? Because I would think that I haven't. the thing that, the, if that's true, the then uh, disc brakes uh, wouldn't work if you drove through water. And they don't work yeah, very right. well right, <laughs> right after so, you've got I them mean, wet. The, <laughs> uh, a, a, a disc brake is a similar uh, scenario, but I think there's a different level of force being applied to that. Oh, certainly. So that that could be the difference. I don't know. Like the 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 pressure pushing between the clutch and the uh, the flywheel is really like a spring loaded plate, the pressure plate, uh, where the the brakes are literally a hydraulic system squeezing around that caliper right. around the disc. So yeah, I mean. It's it's not it's not a a a, a wrong uh, <laughs> assumption to make that they're similar, but it's in the same way that when your disc brakes are wet, it's harder to stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, and those were when I first was going off roading. Uh, some of the trail guides that I went with when we were going through a lot of the deep water, those were um, mm-hmm. warnings they would give me. You know, be careful when you come out of that water. Your brakes aren't going to be working like you think they're going to be working. Oh, very true. Yep. So yep. you just really need to be very careful. After you go through deep water, and sometimes at Roush Creek, that water can get pretty deep, and there can be lots of places that you go through lots of water. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, the, I'll take the take the time here really quick to say this: uh, if you guys have uh, any experience 
with a uh, a clutch uh, disc coming apart or not working and having to be towed home after driving through water with your standard transmission, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, just go over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and uh, leave us a voicemail, send us an email, uh, however you want to do it. Because uh, I've never driven a Jeep with a standard through high water, but I have driven uh, a car with a uh, with a standard transmission. And uh, if it slips, <laughs> it gets hot and the water goes away. So, um, yeah, right. You yeah, know, I, that's I, why I equate it to brakes. I mean, brakes will, will function uh, as you heat up and get the water out of there. So, uh, but yeah, I like I say, it's 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 one of those myths that everybody tells you will totally happen, but I've I have not seen it in person. That's not to say it won't happen. Yeah, exactly. But, that's uh, that's my point. Yeah. Is is it a myth or is it real or did it happen once to uh, JoJo drain cleaner? Uh, you know, back in the sixties. Right, right. <laughs> well, Nate, we uh, we beat the hell out of this this subject, but it was a great conversation. Uh, we're uh, here at the end of our, our interview, so let's uh, let's go through the social media stuff so people know where to find you and uh, find your uh, website. Yeah, sure. So I'm on most of the social platforms as SWB Crawler, um, and by most I mean Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, I've got a Facebook group called Official SWB Crawler that's tied to the SWB Crawler uh, Facebook page. And of course, YouTube. You can find me on youtube.com slash SWB Crawler. And the thing that started it all, SWBCrawler.com, which is basically a blog and tech site. And has nothing to do with South Southwestern Bell. Just make no. sure everybody <laughs> understands. Short wheelbase. It's from the YJ days because they were considered short wheelbase vehicles. I know the the LJ isn't quite as short. <laughs> no, well that's that's good though. Uh, you get little. You get the uh, the XJ equivalent out of it. Uh, you get that little longer wheelbase up and over. Yeah, yeah, right. I do. I love the platform, the LJ. I'm not uh, not saying I wish I had a shorter wheelbase. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, easier <laughs> to get around trees, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that it's it's so unique a vehicle too, and and, I, and as, as far as I know, they didn't make a whole bunch of them. So when you see them, the, it makes it very yep. distinctive. I don't I don't know the numbers, but they were only made for three years. They made a lot of them in those three years, but it's still just three years. Yeah, very true. Well, Nate, thanks a lot for being with us, especially at uh, very short notice. Uh, Nate jumped in uh, uh, just today and agreed to be on the show. I just thought, hey, you got all these voicemails. It'd be better just to get you on and talk about them. But my gosh, we just touched the surface uh, of the voicemails that you had sent, uh, Nate. So, but uh, great conversation. Yeah, right. It's fun. I mean, any anytime you need another host or you need uh, an interview, let me know. I'll, I'll be happy to jump in and talk about my social. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to cover cover the other voicemails. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. All right, thanks again. Thank you, Nate. Yep. Thanks. Well, we finally got him on the show. Thanks again to Nate for taking the time to well get on the show and not just call into the show and well talk about wet clutches, short wheel based jeeps, and his vast ever bragging social media presence. <laughs> that guy. Well, hey, do you have an idea for a guest? Do you work in the off-road industry or maybe you know somebody who does? Seriously, maybe you would like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show. Everybody has a Jeep story to tell. We want to hear yours. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right now and share your idea for our next great guest. If you were thinking about being a guest on the Jeep Talk Show but uh, are fearful now because how we treat Nate... Nate's a friend of the show. No, he's a longtime <laughs> friend of the show. Yeah, we, we little, little little friendly ribbing there. It's it's all in love. Yeah, yeah. We don't <laughs> we don't go after all our guests like that. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that uh, we had received a few a uh, couple of SASEs uh, in, and uh, one of them is actually from the gentleman that we had on our voicemail tonight, Brandon. 
So, Brandon, we've received your S-A-S-E. I can't say that three times uh, in a row. And uh, we'll get be getting that out to you real quick. And uh, the second one we received, uh, it also came with some Jeep stickers. So, I have a couple of uh, honest-to-goodness. Uh, this one was from Mark. I have a couple of honest-to-goodness uh, Jeep, uh, Jeep stickers that says, Only in a Jeep. And, Josh, you'll be happy to know it's a proper Jeep grill. It is a Cherokee, as in XJ hey, grill. Hey, how about that? So I'll have, to, I'll have to send uh, Tammy both of these. No, I'll have to send you one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Way cool. Yeah, very good. Thank you very much for the uh, the stickers. And uh, uh, totally not necessary, nor would be a check for $100. So that would be uh, that would be uncalled for. Coming up next week, Pete Soren, Off-Road Racer and Truck Night in America host. You know, Truck Night in America is cranking back up for their second season starting January 31st, and we're going to be able to talk to Pete a full week before the uh, second season premiere. Looking forward Ooh, to that conversation. Yes. Inside information. Yes. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G. And uh, talking about the... Detroit Auto Show last week and the feud with uh, Jeep and uh, Mohinder. Oh. Mentioned that they're probably going to keep them at opposite ends of the convention center, but that's not true. Uh, They're going to put them next to each other and they're kind of promoting the feud, uh, sort of like a WWF wrestling (laughs) match. Yeah. I got a clip of the commercial. Here it is Mohinder, you think you've got the corner of the seven slot market. But I'm here to tell you, brother, that you don't. We're going to grab you, lift you up, squeeze your undercarriage until your <laughs> headlights pop out. Snap into a Slim Jim. Jeep, you are all not all of that in a bag of chips. <laughs> I am here to tell you that we will not take your threats idly. We are going to feed you the spiciest of curry and take away your toilet paper. And then we are going to cut off all your tech support. And just when you think you had enough and you cannot take no more, we are going to increase the size of our Slurpees so they no longer fit in your cup holders. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, I'll chat you later. Have a good one. Bye. Please send your cards and letters. Please send your cards and letters of disapproval uh, to Nikki G, care of the Jeep Talk Show. Oh, that was cute. I don't think he wanted it to be cute, though. Oh, no, he did. <laughs> I will not be tolerating this incessant racism. You're making me feel bad about a boo being uh, oh, unceremoniously removed. Bad, move. It bad was. move for the Simpsons getting rid of a poo. Yeah, that's... Is it a boo or a poo? A poo. A poo. With a, with a P. Like million with a B. <laughs> I always hated that. <laughs> You're confusing people. That's my job. <laughs> You must have needed this every day. I need it! It's the Jeep Talk Show's must-have stuff. Pick of the week for your Jeep. And this week, we've got something for all of you brand spanking new Jeep owners out there. If you just bought yourself a brand new JL or are even considering a JT at this point, well, then we've got something for you to add a little bit of extra lighting to the rig. KC Highlights, a very well-known name in the off-road industry, has produced the KC A-Pillar Cowl Light Mount Brackets, which allow you to add a pair of auxiliary lights to the 2018-2019 Jeep Wrangler JLs. The brackets are designed to bolt to factory locations and require absolutely no modifications whatsoever 
for the installation. They come in black powder-coated steel construction and mount a wide variety of auxiliary lights up to 6 inches in size. They are sold in pairs, and you can get them for under $75 bucks, uh, from Amazon.com. Uh, there are some other options out there, which will run you about $89 or $99 from other places. But I like the looks of these KC highlights, and it seems like the uh, the hardware kit that they come with uh, is uh, more complete than some of those other kits. So uh, go check them out. We'll have a link for these in the um, show notes for this show. That's really cool. Um, uh, Josh, you don't have any lights on the cowl of your XJ, do you? No, I've got uh, all bumper and roof rack. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, you can got some in the rear on a roof rack, so... Yeah, they look pretty cool. I've never, uh, I've never thought about. Uh, well, actually, I have so many lights on mine; it would be just stupidly ridiculous. Overboard. To, yeah, to have them. I mean, I'm you already, think? I'm already there. So adding more, you know, I guess it wouldn't make a difference. I mean, he's the, he's the reason why the International Space Station uh, astronauts all are required to have sunglasses. Uh, I yeah. will tell you that NASA contacted me. I am backup Morse code operator. Uh, to communicate with the International Space Station if communications goes down. So, Well, it was the Houston International Airport having to divert those flight paths uh, because uh, your damn runway lights on your no, Jeep. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that was, that's a rumor. Actually, what it was is I was laying out in the backyard getting some sun, and they said, ah, oh, stop! Put your, put your shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> are those things laser attack. <laughs> that's where my um, lights Uh-oh. are. Oh, right okay. In that, yeah. But I don't have those mounts now i've thought about getting some a-pillar mounts um uh, casey highlights makes all kinds of cool stuff for for our jeeps so um but now that you guys must have a set of these light mounts from casey highlights for your own 2019 or 2018 jail well we're gonna make it easy for you just go to jeeptalkshow.com look for the link in the show notes for episode 368 and you can get a set for yourself Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to hear a little bit about some events that are happening in your hometown around the nation in wheeling Ware. This is kind of scary. Why? Reading ahead in the show notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Tony's uh, Tony's looking at how much uh, how much work I'm going to be doing here in the in the upcoming days. So, uh, bought a couple of parts. Um, there's a there's a an aspect of my Jeep build that I've been putting off for yeah, probably three or four years. As long as humanly possible. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Uh, if anybody uh, has, uh, owns a you know a, a mid '80s to uh, late '90s Jeep, you know just how difficult a heater core replacement is in these vehicles, and it typically involves removing the entire dashboard. Uh, and there are some tips and tricks out there where you can uh, kind of finagle it out of position uh, by just removing and dropping the passenger side, kind of prying it, by, you know, back off of the off the uh, the core there a little bit, and, and getting that out, but Really, it's going to be a full dash replacement. And, and the reason why I'm going that route and not cutting any corners uh, primarily is because of all the squeaks and rattles. So I'm going to be um, uh, using my, my 3M spray adhesive and uh, a little uh, bit of fabric that I got from my local fabric store. It's some felt, actually. And, uh, and I'm going to be refelting a lot of those joints. Now, if you've ever pulled your dash apart, pulled off uh, dash panels on other vehicles or even on your Jeep, you're going to see little spots of, uh, of what looks like felt almost uh, in in some places and uh, and that is there to eliminate squeaks and rattles and that is done uh, from the factory uh, during the time of installation uh, and over time uh, you know 20 30 years and 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 the jeeps have uh, been on the trails a lot well things kind of rattle and rub and and they generate some noise over years and well so that's going to be the main reason why 
I'm going to be tackling this the way that I am. Now, it's not like I've got coolant on the floor or every time I turn on the heater vent, I've got, you know, green steam coming up the up the windshield. It's not like that. Every so often, I get the slightest little whiff of coolant and I know that the heater core is on its way out. Uh, not to mention um, the, the AC system has been evacuated and I've, I've replaced some components there. This is the last cog in the, in the line that needs to be replaced before I can actually recharge my AC system and get that back up and going. So uh, that's, that's, that's the big thing that is on, uh, on the list. Oh, the, the part is going to be here tomorrow. I've been watching that tracking number all week. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, uh, but I also have a, um, a tranny mount coming. So you guys may have heard me uh, discuss my lack of four low the last time that I was out on the trails and how it kind of stumped me and how I thought, okay, it's just a, it's a linkage adjustment issue and it was pouring rain and very muddy and I wasn't going to climb around in that mess trying to adjust it out on the trail. So I just kind of made the best of it in four high over the day. And it didn't really tackle anything too tough or technical, and it, it, I made the best of it. Um, when I got it back home, and once all the mud dried and everything like that, and I climbed underneath the Jeep, and I started looking at you know, doing some adjustments and whatnot, I, I noticed that no matter how I adjusted it, it just would not go into four low. And so and then I'm thinking, okay, crap, maybe, maybe I did something wrong when I rebuilt my transfer case. But no... I tested everything before I even put the transfer case in. I went through all of the modes. I spun both ends. And everything works the way that it should. It's not leaking, nothing that. So it's not anything that I did. It's got to be something else. And so I'm looking at the linkage and everything, and it's got that weird, you know, Jeep dual reverse Z-gate adjustable linkage for the transfer case. And it's just, it's a horrible, horrible design. And a, seriously, a bunch of people, a bunch of people have redesigned it. A Boostworks Engineering is one of them that have created a great set of linkage um, uh, replacements to, to get rid of all of that. Uh, Novak Adapt has their cable shift, which yes. is just an amazing piece of machinery. Uh, great engineering that there, I mean, if you have a Jeep and you want your transfer case shifts to be buttery smooth, I'm talking about with your pinky, go look at the Novak Adapt cable shift for the MP2321 or MP242. They got them for both. Uh, and uh, yeah, amazing piece right there. But I'm not going uh, any of that route right now. I'm, I'm gonna, likely going to be doing something myself. Uh, I've got some little rod ends and some all thread and, and some bars and stuff. I'm going to be fabricating up my own version uh, that's kind of like a hybrid between these two. So um, that's on the radar as well. But the reason why I'm doing all of that is because I noticed that, well, when I'm trying to adjust all of this, the actual uh, part of the linkage, the, the lever that the, um, the linkage attaches to is bottoming out on a bracket. I'm like, why? Why is that bottoming out? I had a buddy come over. I'm looking at his Jeep and I'm seeing about two or three inches more of clearance around that linkage than I have on mine. I'm like, why is that? I mean, yeah, okay, yours is a 92 and mine's a 99. There shouldn't be that much of a difference between the, the transfer case linkage between these two Jeeps. I, almost identical drivetrains, sh I shouldn't be seeing this. So then I start looking into why this is happening. What, what would cause that to shift over? And, and I come to find out that the transmission mount that I got was actually the wrong one. So at a certain point in time, my Jeep had the transfer case out. The cross member was being replaced with something else. Um, the transfer case was being rebuilt, you know, the mounts were gone. I mean, it was, it, this was many, many, many months in progress. Yeah. You and were so down there for was a couple point. of years, uh, well, on that thing, yeah, technically was down for, for, for years, but the actual drivetrain part of it was, was over the course of, of many months. Okay. And, and so 
you know, I didn't have the factory mount to compare to the polyurethane one that I got in the mail. And I just assumed that the one that they sent me was the right one. It wasn't. If it fits, so there, you know, you figure it it's, yeah, you figure it's yes. right. Yeah. So there are two mounts for the AW4-231-242 combination that was found to, in most of the XJs. And um, whether you have a late model or a new model, whether you have a four-cylinder or a six, an inline six, there are still only two mounts. One of them is centered and one of them is offset. The later model Jeeps, the 97 to 2001s, actually had it offset. Yep. Um, and the four-cylinders also had it offset. All the others had it centered. That mount was centered. So the offset one is the one that I'm supposed to get. And it offsets the, the, the whole drivetrain, essentially, because it mounts to the cross member. And then the, the, the mounts where the transmission mount are offset to one side. On the one that I have, it's centered. And it pushes the whole drivetrain over to the driver's side about two inches almost. Wow. And so that's why I don't have any, any of that clearance. It also explains why I was feeling this binding sensation out on the trail. I'd be in, in this kind of, you know, coming into a, into a bit of a pit. I'd be articulating out and I'd feel this binding sensation that would kind of, you know, it would, it would, it's kind of hard to explain. It felt like the, uh, like I was hanging up on something, but then all of a sudden it would release. And all of a sudden I, I could feel the drivetrain uh, not have any resistance anymore. And it's like, oh, okay, that was kind of weird. No, not sure what that was exactly because I've never really felt anything like that before. Um, and it definitely wasn't, I was, you know, getting hung up on a route or a rock or anything like that. It was something in the drivetrain. And, and so I was, you know, kind of babying it the whole day, uh, wondering what was going on. And well, now I find out why all because of this one transmission mount, shifting everything over to one side caused all these problems. So I've got a new transmission mount coming that will actually, I'll be picking that up. Uh, got the, uh, will call. I'll be picking that up after, uh, after work tomorrow. I'll have the uh, heater core in hand, and I will be in my garage all damn weekend long. Yeah, you will. Fun times. Indeed. So, Tammy, what's going on with you and Nikki G? Because there's, <laughs> there's some talks about, like, somebody's going to eat an onion. Well, it started, I had this idea. Um, I'm getting closer to 3,000 subscribers on Facebook, and so is um, the Bearded Jeeper. And so I, him and I are in this race um, to 3,000 subscribers. He's a little bit ahead of me when we started this. And what we did is um, whoever hits 3,000 subscribers first is the winner. And then the loser, if it's him, he has to wear a purple wig and bite into an onion. If it's <laughs> me, I have to wear a beard and bite into an onion. Well, and so we both you know, put it out there. Hey, please share this, subscribe, share it with your friends. So Nikki G was so nice. He made his own video. Oh no. And um, in support of us. And he, he, he did a really good job. And I think he thought he was in the challenge as well. <laughs> and so <laughs> Poor I'm going to bite myself a, along, you know, he's, yeah. he's never included. <laughs> and I think, I think he, thought he had already lost and he starts eating an, a raw onion in his video oh, like he bit God. into it and ate it and bit into it again and ate it Ugh. so i know that was um thank you very much nikki g i loved your video um you guys go <laughs> check it out and um 
go onto YouTube and search Jeep Mama and subscribe to my page. And then go over to Nikki G's page and go subscribe to him. He, Nikki G has some pretty funny videos and he has some pretty serious videos. So, um, But also, Nate got into it all too. And he thinks since the Bearded Jeeper was so far ahead of me since we began it, because he was already like 60, 70 subscribers ahead of me. He thinks if the bearded jeeper loses that he should um, dye his beard purple. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm getting there, folks, if you could go. I'm also doing a giveaway once I hit 3,000 subscribers. I'm going to be giving away some purple stuff and some Jeep swag. So that's another incentive. A case of um, purple paint. Yes. Um <laughs> But so it, it's all in fun. It's so just, Tammy, is fun. is this YouTube subscribers or are these yes. follows or likes on on oh, uh, another social media outlet or where are we talking here? YouTube subscribers. So when you go to YouTube, you can search me. I'm actually the YouTube slash whatever something the Jeep Mama or yeah the Jeep Mama. <laughs> are you certain? Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? But uh, you can just search. Um, YouTube. So anyway, when you go there, you click the subscribe button and you're just subscribed to me. Um, and it means nothing to you unless you want to click the little bell, then you'll get notifications every time I post a video. So, but it helps me in my YouTube ranking. Um, so that would be really nice if you could go do that. So the other thing I know last week we were talking about Uwari versus Roush Creek. And I I felt like Tony may have thought I was dissing Uwari. Don't don't make it worse, Tammy. <laughs> no, I'm not. I there was um one of the Carolina Trails off road guys went to Roush Creek. And just to put it in perspective perspective this is what he wrote after he got back from roush creek for all my jeep family and friends that love uari and want to try roush creek in pennsylvania i highly recommend it this place is incredible rocks rocks and more rocks you better have at least 35s and a decent amount of lift that's if you want to do the black trails there's a lot of trailered rigs here for good reason um, the folks he was with have been awesome to ride with. They talked me through some spots that would make parts of Uari look like your grandpa's dirt road to the cornfields. Not knocking Uari because I love it too, but if you ever make it up to Roush Creek, you will never look at Uari the same again. And wow. that's <laughs> and that's what uh, that's what at the point Uari is great. I'm going back there. I had a blast. It's fun, but it's different. And that's what my point was. It's and it's. There are some really, really, really difficult trails there that I haven't even been on yet. So, not, I wasn't dissing you. <laughs> just saying. I'm just trying to stir it up for the show, Tammy. <laughs> no, I know you are. Get, get me in a girl fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, this last weekend, I'm sorry, Josh. No, I was going to say, Tony, you're going to be doing some work on your Jeep this weekend, too, aren't you? Uh, well,. Maybe not. The parts haven't arrived uh, that I was going to talk about. But last weekend, uh, I went to install the uh, Bilstein Bilstein uh, 5100 shocks rear shocks that I that I received, and uh, you know I bought some uh, um, what are those? Not isolators. What are those things called? The uh, bar pin eliminators. Bar pin eliminators. I bought some of those, and by the time I was uh, trying to fit 
the six inch um, shocks on the rear, I was like, holy hell, I got to compress the hell out of the shock just to get it to fit. And that's whenever I started looking and thinking and measuring against the the 99 that has a three inch lift. My 98 with a six and a half inch lift sits lower than the 99 with a three inch lift. So I got, got nothing to do with your shocks, though. No, but it has something to do with the shocks fitting. If they're made for a six inch lift and I only have a four or less in the rear. So anyway, uh, to to accomplish, uh, to get the, because I think the leaf springs uh, probably are uh, uh, need to be replaced. I had asked Steve 4.3LXJ about it, and uh, I got a response back that it, it really wasn't something that uh, I need to look at. So I looked at the, um, oh, what, gee, what they're called. Uh, the uh, I had bought these uh, adjustable uh, relocation, shackle relocation brackets from uh, Andy over at Ironman4x4Fab.com. And put those on uh, a while back, and it allowed me to get the uh, the shackles that I had on there, the two-inch shackles that I had on there, and put them at an angle. So I got them at about a 45-degree angle, and I think that's where I'm uh, losing uh, the height. Now, uh, you and I talked about it, Josh, and I agree, mm-hmm. new, new leaf springs would certainly uh, take care of the situation, but... Those are going to uh, sag over time. So I went ahead and purchased me some XJ adjustable shackles, also from Ironman4x4fab.com. Uh, and uh, those are the ones I'm waiting to come in. They'll be really easy to, to install. Let's just take the uh, Rough Country shackles that I have in there that are fixed length. And these babies, let me just read a little something here to you. New adjustable shackles designed specifically to work with our ultimate and long travel shackle relocation bracket. Shackles are adjustable from 8 inches to 10.5 inches uh, long, and it will increase ride quality and wheel travel just by installing these with our shackle relocation brackets, which I have. Uh, These shackles combined with our relocation brackets can give you a minimum of 7 eighths inch of lift up to 12 inches of lift. Shackle uh, angle is everything. Easily get three to four, uh, three and a half to four and a half inches of lift with a 45 degree shackle angle. So uh, I'm uh, uh, impatiently waiting for these to come in. So uh, I'm I'm not going to lift it 12 inches in the rear, but I am going to get it uh, a little higher because I'm a little concerned about body bottoming the bottoming out those uh, those uh, shocks that I put on there because. They were very long in comparison to the space that I had. So I something you may or may not know that the shocks that come in the four and a half inch rough country long arm kit, whether it's the X series or whatever, are the same exact shocks that are in the six and a half inch series uh, uh, kit. The same exact skew, same exact model number, exact, exact, exact. Two and a two inch difference between lift kit, same shock that comes in the kit. So I just want you to be aware of that. Anybody else out there is, is thinking about shocks and stuff. Now, Bilstein is a completely different type of shock than what you had on those rough country, than what those rough countries were. Mm. Uh, different shock technology, uh, night and day difference between the two shocks. Do they do the same thing? Yes. But are they the same thing? Absolutely not. So um, just something to keep in mind there as far as you know what you were looking at and, and the whys behind it. Rough Country keeps the same shocks between their four and a half and their six and a half inch kit. So when I went to put the uh, the Bilsteins on, um, you know how they have the strap on the shocks to keep them from fully extending? Yeah, uh, when they come out of the box. Yeah, 
the 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 like big zip tie type thing that goes around them the the yeah. the yeah the package wire wire thing whatever strap yeah yeah with that uh, with that that uh, strap on there they were four inches too long. You got the wrong shock. That's what I but, thought. Does that strap just hold it in place? Is that what it's for? Yeah, it just keeps it from uh, extending because the shock wants to push out. Right. So um, I went back, came in here, and uh, looked it up to see if I had gotten the right one. I did. And I thought, well, I obviously need a, uh, a uh, four and a half inch shock. So I ordered them and then went back outside and you went, you know, I didn't try compressing that shock before I came in here to order something. So I compressed it and I got it a lot shorter. And I came back up here and canceled uh, my order and went and installed them. <laughs> but there I did not feel comfortable putting the bar pin eliminators on with it sitting with the rear end sitting as low as it was. So anyway, with these adjustable shackles I'll be getting, I will be able to uh, adjust it uh, whatever height I want. And I, of course, I don't want to go crazy uh, raising the rear end really, really high. But uh, it really wasn't. I really hadn't noticed that it was actually a little lower in the rear uh, than what it should be until I started looking at the uh, the shock installation. Anyway, got the the shocks installed and. Uh, I, honestly, other than the rattle that I was getting because of the the bushing on the bar pin on the uh, that was on the uh, passenger side, other than mm-hmm. that rattle, I really haven't noticed anything uh, any difference between the thirteen year old rough country shocks and the Bilsteins. Did you do all four or just the rear? Uh, Bilsteins were already on the front. Ah, when did you when did you replace those? Ooh, years. Uh, yeah, five years maybe. Interesting. Yeah, so I've had the Bilstein's 5100 series on the front for a while now. You know when I was having that cupping issue? Uh, and my friend oh, Matt... Oh, that was a long time ago, yeah, yeah. And my friend Matt told me you need to get some some uh, better shock so it'll keep the the size and weight of your wheel from bouncing. Yeah. So I put those on, and they're they're a little pricey. I mean, this isn't the, the reservoir, blah, 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 but they're still a lot pricier than, uh, you know, sh- the you got, everyday you the, shocks. You got the 5100, not the 5150s. 5100 series. I don't right. know. I don't okay. know the specific model number, but it was the 5100 series. Yeah. Now, all, not all 5100s are uh, created the same. Uh, the, obviously, they have uh, uh, different lengths and, and and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, the best way to measure for your shocks is to determine your your static ride height, and then figure out what your max compression is, and then your max extension is. How much droop and how much compression you have. You take all three of those numbers, you call it Bilstein. Uh, there are some charts available online as well, and you can get the exact shock that should go on your vehicle for your suspension. So what I got was Bilstein uh, 33-151663. I'll, I'll put those numbers in, the, in there just for Tammy. Uh, six <laughs> inches of lift <laughs> rear shock for Jeep XJ. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know, uh, but they're 5100 series. I don't... Th- think it says anything uh more specific in there other than the the information that i just provided and uh, i went with six inch because uh i'm supposed to be having a six and a half inch lift on there so um kept it simple and it works it fits it just kind of uh, worried me when i first was trying to put them on i've never had to compress a shock like that to, just uh-huh. to make them fit now uh i will say uh, uh one other thing tony is uh with that shackle angle you said you got them at, at about 45 degrees right now um and if you're if you're trying to get more lift out of your shackle by decreasing your shackle angle you're also going to be decreasing your rideability your drivability on that uh substantially uh, i got a video on youtube of a uh, what of, of what an, uh, a cherokee's ride is like when you don't have your proper shackle angle adjusted correctly 
and it is a very uncomfortable, very bumpy, bouncy ride. I uh, got it at 45 degrees and it's not a problem. If you're talking about yeah, having, you're good. It, having it more vertical, then yeah, I could understand yeah. that. No, no, I yeah. don't. I don't want it vertical. And that's one of the reasons why I'm going with this. I mean, I could have repositioned the shackles that I have now to more vertical situation. And it is a little, a little harsher of a ride. It's not bad. Uh, I really didn't notice that much difference. Um, and, uh, but if I put these on there, I'll be able to maintain that 45 degree angle and uh, get a lot of lift as much lift as I'm going to need. The only other thing I can think of, uh, that I might want to do is, uh, get some, what are the, uh, ACOS or ASOC? I forget the ACOS adjustable coil over spacer, uh, from uh, JK, JKS, I believe. And that would be nice. I could actually dial in the front and the rear, uh, with, uh, with all that. And also, too, uh, I've been waffling back and forth about uh, replacing the tie rod because what uh, the tie rod I have on there is a heavy-duty, uh, rough-country tie rod. And the experience I had with their heavy-duty track bar wasn't a good one uh, since it bent on one outing. So I've been wanting to get rid of that uh, tie rod for a while now, and I went ahead and uh, made the jump and uh, got the uh, the tie rod from uh, Iron Man Andy uh, oh, man. also. So that's going to be coming in. And I, uh, I asked him about, uh, I didn't see it on the site, but he had been talking about uh, using the Dodge Ram truck um, uh, TREs uh, for the tie rod. He was, I think he was selling it at one time, but it wasn't available on the site now. And I asked him about it. He said, we'll make it however you want it. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> right on. I got somebody that, that uh, that's all they do, and I'll be happy to make them for you. And I said, well, that's great. I just need to know uh, the what TREs to buy, tie rod ends to buy. And uh, if you could uh, make it and thread it for the uh, the, the Dodge Ram uh, truck, that would be great. So I'm going to be upgrading the tie rod ends uh, and the tie rod. I d- did not go for the aluminum tie rod. It's just the solid metal bar. <laughs> so <laughs> do the make. Ram, now this is something I, I don't know. Do the Ram trucks have the same diameter and taper angle on their rod ends as the stock Cherokee or whatever you have on there right now? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, there is. I will have to do nothing other than take the tie rod that's on there off and put the, this tie rod on with the the, the wow. round. So and you know, ton, I was concerned. A quarter ton a unibody SUV has the same exact tie rod ends as a half half ton or full ton V8 full size truck. Well, it gets even better. I told him, I said, well, I better not go this direction because I'm still running the 15 inch wheels and the backspacing. I don't want them to rub. He says they're actually smaller than the TREs on the XJ. What? Yes. He goes, they're a lot tougher and they're smaller. So anyway. Off of a Ram, not a Dakota. A, a Dodge truck. Huh. I think, I thought it was Ram. Uh, it's not on his site. It was a conversation we had and one we had had yeah. a number of years ago I and would, then revisited it. So I, I'll, 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 I will Dakota. have more information soon. Yeah. I would believe Dakota. I would have a hard time believing Ram, but no, stranger things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm looking forward to that. It will not be yeah. the one-ton steering, but I really hate the, uh, the whole idea of doing the the drift and you know the aim and shoot type stuff because of the rotating uh, uh, tie rod. Uh, so I'm just going with kind of a a much heavier duty uh, tie rod. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, well. They, he says on his uh, site, solid steel tie rod. Oh, there you go. Uh, so I it may bend, but it's not going to bend. It'll bend right back. <laughs> on its mm-hmm. own. <laughs> yeah. Hey, want to join in on the campfire side chat? We'd love to have you. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Find out all the ways you can reach out to us and join in on the fun. 
Now let's get some event to some events from around the world and maybe in your neck of the woods. Let us know about your event. Just go to jeeptalkshow, jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Click and fill out our wheeling wear form. That information will come straight to us and we will get it out on the air. For instance, we got one here just under the wire. Uh, Eco Crawl is what it's called, happening January 19th through the 20th at George Ingalls Equestrian Event Center in Norco, California. Uh, we also have happening a couple other great events. You know, we talked a little bit about this last week, week before. It's the big one, guys. King of Hammers is coming February 1st through the 9th, a week-long event of the most intense off-road racing you've ever seen. Johnson Valley, California is where it's happening. Uh, ultra Racing, ultra4racing.com. Go check it out. Um, Mud Chuggers Four-Wheel Drive Club is presenting their 25th annual Snowblind Expedition Run. This is happening February 8th through the 10th, weekend-long run there. Nice little expedition run up in the snow. West Branch, Michigan is where it's happening. For more information, well, we'll have the links for that. And any other uh, event that we've been talking about, uh, you can go just uh, check out the show notes for this episode and get all the info. That's it for the show for this week, fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest content we're putting out. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Make sure you write this down, it may help in the future. When quantifying relative function of a Jeep's phase detectors, it is important to automatically synchronize both of the cardinal grammeters. Ordinarily, power would be generated by the relaxive motion of conductors and fluxes. Of course, now in our modern era, Jeeps is produced by the modal interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance. When accessing the base plate of any Jeep's turbo encabulator, it is crucial that the two spurving bearings are in direct line with the panometric fan, the latter consisting simply of six hydrocopic marzal vanes. Keep in mind that these are fitted to the amphipatient lunar vein shaft in such a way that side fumbling is effectively prevented. What is interesting is that after 1943, it was found that the use of anhydrous nagling pins enabled a kinostatic boiling shim to be tankered in all but one of the marzal vanes. Now you should see that there are large quasi piatic stresses in the gremlin studs, but these were specifically designed to hold the retrofit bars to the spam shaft. So no metal polar piltometric readings should be necessary. But if you think that your Jeep's bar score motion is out of phase, or may be employed in conjunction with a drawn reciprocating beagle arm to reduce sinusoidal degeneration. Keep that in mind for future reference, and I hope this helps. Now, and never use a Henway made before 1987. Podcasting since 2010.